To start things off this morning, I'm wondering how many of us know who this person is. If you know this person's name, you can feel free to shout it out in your location. For the rest of us who don't know who this is or don't know why they're famous, I'm going to spend a moment to explain to you who this is and why they're famous. But I got to warn you that in this moment that I take to do that, this is going to be one moment that you will never get back for the rest of your life. Because this person's name is Richard. His name is Richard Tyler Blevins. And the reason he's famous is that he is a professional video game player. That's what he does for a living. He actually makes millions of dollars streaming himself online playing video games. If, if you heard someone shout out the name Ninja, that's actually what he's more commonly known as. He's called Ninja and he plays a video game called Fortnite. Which if you're not familiar with Fortnite, I want you to say a little prayer to Jesus right now and thank him for that miracle in your life. I won't explain what happens in Fortnite because that would be a second moment that you would just never get back for the rest of your life. This person though, this ninja, uh, he has almost 21 and a half million followers on his YouTube channel where he live streams himself playing Fortnite. And uh, he is kind of renowned among people, you know, in the internet as one of the most influential people in social media because of his popularity. And it's actually measured by the fee or the rate at which he gets paid for a post or for live streaming. This guy, in fact, is so famous that he appeared, you probably don't know this, but he appeared in the halftime commercial at the Super Bowl, the one that was kind of the most significant one with all the NFL greats kind of uh, at the banquet uh, where the football game breaks out. Uh, he was one of the waiters just as a celebrity in that, in that commercial. You don't know that because you're probably not following this guy, but 21 and a half million people do, and he makes millions of dollars every year by posting these uh, live streams of him playing this video game. Other people who uh, would be regarded as huge influences in the social media world by that same criteria would be people like uh, Selena Gomez. She gets paid a lot per, per post on social media, Instagram, things like that. Uh, a slew of the Jenners and Kardashians. Uh, soccer player Cristiano Ronaldo also uh, would, would be considered highly influential uh, according to that criteria. And it kind of makes us ask as we enter this section of text in chapter 3 of this letter written by uh, Jesus' brother James, who we would define as influential in our lives, and based on what criteria would we define them as influential? The internet would define these people as the most influential voices in social media as defined by the criteria of amount paid per posts or stream. The question is in your life and in mine, who would we feel are the most influential people and why? What criteria would we use? That's actually the question that James walks us into in uh, verse 13 of James chapter 3. If you brought a Bible along or if, if you have a, a Bible app in your personal device, you can turn there. Uh, where he asks this question, he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise and understanding among you? Uh, you know, among specifically the community of faith, but he's talking to the, the people of faith and, and, you know, in their lives, who would they consider to be wise people, people of great understanding? And he's not just talking about people who possess knowledge. 
You think about the context of where he's been going in this uh, section of text in chapter 3. He's talking specifically about the kind of people that they would view as influences. As influences. Remember that he started off, we learned uh, this two weeks ago at the beginning of this series called Finding Our Voice. uh, When he he started off chapter 3 by saying, not many of you should presume to be teachers or to be spiritual influences. And, And Mike walked us through that morning where we learned just how much words matter. And then last week he walked us through the next section to understand why words matter. Because they have tremendous power to heal or to hurt. So it's in the context of those words mattering and those voices of influence that James is asking this question, who do you consider wise and understanding among you? And in a sense, he's asking two questions because he's asking who you would consider to be an influence. And kind of the secondary question, which is implied, is the question of why. What criteria would you base that on? The final comment I'll make just in, in referring to the context here, when we're considering how James introduces this is to appreciate that especially when he started in chapter 3 verse 1 by saying not many of you should presume to be teachers James is assuming that the answer to this question who is wise and understanding among you who is a person of influence that the answer is not everyone not everyone that some people ought to be regarded as worthy of having influence and some people ought not to And that's what he's going to kind of walk us into in this section we're going to look at today. He responds to this question, uh, still in verse 13, in this way. He says, let them, a person of influence, a wise and understanding person, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. James responds with a a set of criteria here. And he's basically saying two key things that are kind of the, the, the crux of this passage today. He says, first of all, a wise person can show it. That wisdom can actually be seen. It's observable in the way certain people live. Particularly, he says that wisdom is observable um, by their good life and by deeds done in humility. The, the characteristic of the wise person, the person of understanding, who ought to be an influence in your life, James says, is a person defined by humility. And humility, just so we're clear, isn't, you know, berating yourself or you know, belittling yourself. I've once heard humility described not as thinking less of yourself, but rather humility is all about thinking about yourself less. Thinking, humility is thinking about yourself less. It's about orienting yourself to those around you to be more others oriented and to take a posture of servanthood to build up and to empower those around you to make the quality and condition of other people's lives better through your sacrifice and servitude. That's what humility means. And he says you can observe people who live out what he calls good deeds in this posture of humility. Because humility is something that you can actually see lived out. That's the first thing that he says. That wisdom is something that you can see. Not necessarily something that you listen to or hear. The second part though, and I want you to notice this, is when he describes this good life by deeds done. He says in the humility that comes from wisdom 
Understand that. He's, he's talking about a wise person, a person of wisdom, that you can observe their wisdom and the good deeds that they do that's driven by a hard attitude of humility. But that humility in turn comes from wisdom. That wisdom is not just the output. Wisdom is also the origin of this hard attitude that drives a certain behavior that is observable. And what James is teaching in this criteria to discern who ought to be influential voices in your life and in communities like ours is that wisdom is a source to be seen, not a sound to hear. Wisdom is a source to be seen, not just a sound to hear. And I wonder if anyone here is objecting to that. You know, maybe, you know, you'd like to be perceived as an influence, a, a, a credible voice of, of wisdom. And you're basing that criteria on the way that you can articulate words. That, that you would hope that it's a sound to hear. I, I say that because I assume that James knew that there were people in his day that would object to this statement and to this criteria because James immediately then responds by dealing with this objection of a person who would kind of disagree internally with that criteria that wisdom is a source to be seen through the lives of people of humility. Because in verse 14, he says this, he says, but... If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. You see, he's dealing with an objection. That's what the word but is referring to. He's kind of treating this as an objection. And he refers to the kind of person who presumably wishes to be known by or wishes to actually functionally be an influence, but actually doesn't meet those criteria. And he kind of goes directly at them by speaking to their heart. And he talks about these two hard attitudes, kind of two almost twin towers called bitter envy and selfish ambition. I believe that he chooses those deliberately because together the, the textbook opposite of what he means by humility. Bitter envy, more specifically, is the rivalry that pushes those around you down. Selfish ambition is the self-orientation and the self-promotion that builds you up. And the combination of pushing others down and building you up is the exact opposite of the sacrifice and servitude that empowers and builds up others in a heart attitude of humility. And so he's realizing that there are some people in the community that may want to be perceived as influences, but they actually bring the exact opposite heart attitude to the table. And he says, if that's you, or if that's that person, he says, first of all, don't boast about it, it being a, a wise person, a person of understanding, a person of influence. Don't say that you are, because if you do, he says, you're denying the truth. You're actually lying to yourself and those around you if you believe that simply by the articulation or persuasiveness of your words that you ought to be perceived a wise person. Because remember, James' whole point is that wisdom is a source to be seen, not just a sound to hear. So for those who can make the sound of wisdom, but whose hearts are filled with things like bitter envy and selfish ambition, they shouldn't claim that they're an influence because... They're lying to themselves. They're denying the truth. And if that wasn't harsh enough, James continues to build into this objection. In verse 15, he says, such wisdom. And notice the NIV translation puts quotes around the word wisdom. I love that they do that because that, that's what he's referring to. Kind of a false wisdom. He says, such false wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is actually earthly, unspiritual, 
and demonic. As if it wasn't harsh enough to kind of label these people and declare that their hearts were full of bitter envy and selfish ambition. Now he goes even deeper to the origin of that heart attitude. And he kind of layers these three concepts or these three points in these, in these three words that, that basically bear increasing intensity. The first one is this word earthly, basically meaning of this world, kind of the common mindset or thinking of their culture or their surrounding society. And then he uses the word uh, unspiritual, literally kind of carnal or like sensual, kind of your animalistic urges, the, the, the natural urges that, that drive us deep within us. And then he says even worse, they're demonic. They're of a spiritual origin that is totally contrary to God. And in that kind of escalating combination of a mindset that is worldly, a heart attitude that is kind of carnal, and an ultimate spiritual source that is contrary to the vision and values of God, he says all of those in opposition, he says those do not come down from heaven. They do not come down from heaven. And at that point, James kind of starts to tip his hand because formerly he'd said that wisdom is something that's a source to be seen. It's evidenced in humility that comes from wisdom. But now he kind of alludes to where he believes that proper wisdom actually comes from. In contrast to where false wisdom comes from. And if that wasn't enough. He not only talks about the origin of this false wisdom. He looks out the other end and talks about the outcomes of it. As well, look at verse 16. He says, For when you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Where you find envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. He says, You can also observe the fruit of this heart attitude, not just the fruit of the heart attitude of humility, only in this case, it's entirely the opposite result. You don't see good deeds and things like that. You see what he calls disorder and every evil practice. The language of disorder is kind of a chaotic term that would typically be referred to as political unrest. You know, you think of countries that are at war with each other. That's the kind of communal chaos that James is referring to combined with kind of a personal immorality. You know, just a, 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 a personal free-for-all. So it's, it's, it's chaotic communi communally. It's completely godless. It's a free-for-all individually. He says that's the fruit of what happens when that heart attitude is allowed to be an influence. And in this short section of text, in response to his question, who is wise and understanding among you? Who ought to be an influence? James provides an answer and a set of criteria by creating a contrast. Where he contrasts two very distinct and opposite heart attitudes that come from two very different and distinct sources that each reveal two very distinct outcomes or byproducts. That's what James is framing here in the conversation. Two sources that lead to two heart attitudes that each yield two outcomes. What he's saying to people today, similar to what he would have been saying to his original audience, is that at the end of the day, the criteria by which you determine who ought to be an influence in your life, 
is not just the persuasiveness and the kind of sophistication of people's words because words can come from a heart attitude of envy or selfish ambition. And if they come from a heart attitude of envy and selfish ambition, they can originate in things that are worldly and unspiritual and ultimately demonic and lead to the outcome of total communal and individual chaos. But if you'll treat wisdom and influence as something that is seen, not just heard, you can observe the fruit of that wisdom in the life of a person who's driven instead by humility because, here's his point, because that humility comes from wisdom, but a certain kind of wisdom, that humility that comes from that wisdom ultimately comes from God. And what James is looking for people to do is ultimately select the kind of voices around them that will enable them to be most of all influenced by God himself. You know, the Bible says this in many other places. Uh, Proverbs 9, 10 is one example where it says, the fear of the Lord, meaning not being afraid of him, but just acknowledging him, being reverent toward him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the origin of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That, that's where James is starting. He's saying, like Mike concluded uh, last Sunday, that this whole section of text isn't about figuring out how we as people can grow and become a greater influence. And the section of text that we're looking at today isn't ultimately about which people ought to be the greatest influence in your life. The section of text today and this whole section in James chapter 3 and 4 that we're looking at is all about how we can enable God himself to be a greater influence in our lives and in our community. And what he's saying today is that the way that you can live a life of wisdom and understanding is first of all by allowing God to be a greater influence. But the way to do that is to allow certain kinds of people to be that influence. People who are living out God's wisdom themselves as evidenced in humility in the way that they live their life. What James is saying quite simply is that if you want to be most influenced by God, allow people who you can see are most influenced by God to most influence you. That if you want your life to head in a Godward direction, that if you want your life to be most driven by the vision and values of God himself, then look around and see the lives that you believe are most driven by the vision and value of God himself and let their influence drive you. That's the kind of person that James says ought to be considered wise and with understanding among us. That's the kind of person James says ought to be an influence. And that's exactly why. Because the more their hearts are open to God's influence, the more they can allow God's influence to affect you and me. Now I imagine that there are some of us today who are tracking with that. And we think that, hey, that makes a lot of sense. Why don't we just write that down, close our notebooks, close in prayer, and head home. Uh, what I want to do, though, is just to check in on those of us who feel like that sounds like it makes sense, 
Because if we're going to determine whether this idea is influential in our lives simply by how it sounds, we haven't fully yet caught the full weight of the point that James has been trying to make. He's been trying to make the point that in order for God to influence your life through people who are influenced by God influencing your life, you've got to treat wisdom as a source to be seen, not just a sound to hear. And if you're hearing this as a sound right now and saying, oh, that's good enough for me, you haven't necessarily fully got there. We've got to kind of shift our mental model of how we determine wisdom and influence in our hearts and minds. Typically, when we listen for it, it's as if we're taking kind of a, a radio dial surfing approach. We're going up and down the radio dial, kind of listening for what we want to hear. And as soon as we find a song or you know, a, a show or something that we want to hear, then we stop there and we listen to it. We track with what we hear. James is saying that wisdom is a source to be seen, not just a sound to hear. Instead of taking a radio dial surfing approach, we've got to take, I think, more like a well drilling approach. You understand how well dr drilling works where you, you, know, you drill a hole, you look to see what comes out. You drill a hole, you look to see what comes out. You're dealing with the source you're drilling into the source in order to see what comes out. And eventually you drill a hole, nothing, drill a hole, nothing, drill a hole. Geyser, you know that you've hit a well. Because to hit a well is to dig a source. And ultimately in digging the source, you can see the result. That's the approach that James is encouraging in you and me and us together. To not just listen for wisdom. To not just listen for it, assuming that it's packaged in the form of sophisticated words or persuasive speech. But rather to look for it. To look for the source that yields a certain result in the way a person lives their lives. Most specifically expressed in humility. Instead of through things like envy and selfish ambition. So the question then is, how do you do that? How do you change those gears and go from a dial surfer discerner of wisdom with my ears to a well driller discerner of wisdom through digging deep and looking at what I see in the person's life? I think practically speaking, if you're taking notes today, there are, are two things I would suggest. The first one, to allow God's voice of wisdom to influence your life to a greater degree, means discerning the wrong voices. It means discerning the wrong voices, knowing what to look for, and not just knowing what humility looks like, but I think most importantly, given the attention that James has paid on kind of who shouldn't be an influence, to know what things like envy and selfish ambition look like, because they can certainly sound wise and persuasive. I made a little list here, and we're going to throw it up on the screen, of some examples of the kinds of people that envy and selfish ambition can look like. Maybe you know these kinds of people. Maybe you are these kinds of people. But think about, for starters, what I would call the star. The star is the kind of person who always needs to be the center of attention, always needs to be in the limelight. Not even kind of formally, but informally, in conversation. They're always drawing attention back to themselves. Where does that come from? always drawing attention back to themselves. Or think about the bragger, the person who's always offering kind of promotional material about themselves, either in social media or in, in conversation. They're the kind of person for whom if something good happened, they did it. If something bad happened, someone else did it or it's somebody else's fault. Or similarly, the tyrant. The tyrant is the kind of person who makes other people around them feel smaller so that they themselves can feel or be perceived as bigger. That's what a tyrant is. 
then I'd say there's the know-it-all. The know-it-all is the person who's probably read a lot. They know a lot, but, but what they know, they've never really actually lived out or experienced all that much. And so they, they, they talk very eloquently, but they talk in theory more than in practice. Another example of either envy or selfish ambition can be what I'd call the chronic critic. The person who wants to be an influence, but doesn't want to be an influence objectively in good and bad and ugly. They just only ever always want to be negative and complain and have that be influential. Or the opposite, this one might surprise you, what I would call the exclusive encourager. You might say, well, you know, how is that a selfish ambition person? Because the exclusive encourager who just praises everything and thumbs up everything and likes everything and says everything's all good, never feels that way. They don't feel like everything's all good. And they have opinions about things, but they resist sharing them and they hold back on being helpful in, in times because they're too concerned with their own discomfort to get into those difficult or awkward conversations. And because they're choosing their own personal comfort over the betterment of other people in the voice that they could be, I would call them the exclusive encourager. It's driven in part by selfish ambition. And then finally, I would say the crusader uh, would be another uh, type of person along these lines. The crusader is the person who cares so deeply and passionately, but so exclusively about their one cause or issue that they don't care who else they affect or what other consequences they, they wreak havoc on. They just want to move their agenda forward. And in that kind of promotional, you know, single agenda promotion, uh, they can demonstrate a lot of selfish ambition. And so as you look at kind of examples like that, I, I wouldn't claim that that's an exhaustive list. Um, I'm sure each one of us knows some of those people. And probably more honestly, I think that most of us feel like in some ways we're some of those people. And it's probably a good heart reflection to consider in what ways we're driven at times by envy and or selfish ambition instead of a humility that originates in God's vision and values for our lives. But that's not the hard part. The hardest part is not learning how to see, in a well-drilling example, learning how to see wisdom through humility versus false wisdom in the form of envy or selfish ambition. The harder part, point number two, would be avoiding the wrong voices. Actually avoiding the wrong voices, not allowing them to be influential in your life. And I know that this is hard because a lot of times I talk to people, they'll say, you know, it's really difficult when I'm talking to someone who's articulate or persuasive to be able to out-argue them. Understand that not being influenced by someone doesn't require you to reciprocally influence them. You don't have to bear the weight of out-arguing a person. You just have to understand where they're coming from and through the well-drilling approach of observing their life and the source of where things are coming from, appreciate that this isn't a person you want to influence you as much as you might have formerly. And gang, this can be hard because in our lives, we're naturally drawn to people who think like us. To people who are going to reinforce our biases, especially when we're in difficult circumstances or conflict or crisis. You know, many times you'll, you'll see kids who, you know, when they're struggling with their parents, you know, who do they kind of go to? They go to other kids that are struggling with their parents to validate their feelings. I see this a lot in marriages, unfortunately. It's amazing how when marriages are in trouble, all of a sudden the couple become friends with different people. They often will become friends with people whose marriages are also in trouble or worse in people who are separated or divorced or on their own and, and who are advocating for a greener grass on the other side of the fence. 
And we kind of align ourselves with these uh, you know, less helpful, you know, non-constructive influences just because they make us feel better because they reinforce our own feelings. You know, you can be upset at your boss or the coach or the prof. Pay attention, though, to the people you gravitate around because we tend to gravitate around complaining students or struggling teammates or other disgruntled employees. Uh, author Brene Brown refers to this phenomenon as common enemy intimacy. The common enemy intimacy, the temptation we have to surround ourselves only with voices that will kind of reaffirm the bad feelings we have. And we've got to dig ourselves out of that and be more objective about the kind of voices we ought to allow in our lives. If in fact we're going to allow God to have the influence, the positive, productive, hope-filled influence that we dream that he would. The bottom line, bottom line gang is that God has a vision and value for our lives. He's got a beautiful plan for your life and mine and ours together and wants to be an influence in it. But the way that God most influences us, as James teaches today, is when we learn to see his influence through others and embrace it by allowing certain people to be more of an influence in our lives and certain people to be less. If you want more of God affecting, influencing, and driving your life, appreciate that influence, that wisdom and understanding is a source to be seen, not just a sound to hear, and start to look for it. Look for it in the people who seem to be most influenced by God as evidenced in their life of humility instead of people who are evidencing a life driven by things like envy and selfish ambition. Because James teaches, if you want to be most influenced by God, surround yourself with people and voices that you can see are most influenced by God. The way that you live a life where God is driving it the most is by allowing people who are allowing God to drive their lives the most to be the loudest voices of influence in you. Let's pray together. God, we want to thank you again for walking us through this series, uh, awakening us to how much words and voices and influence matter. Uh, God, we acknowledge that we live in just a barrage of voice uh, in relationships and online and through, through social media. Uh, God, I pray that you would impress on our hearts today that just because you have a voice doesn't mean you are a voice. And just because someone expresses their voice doesn't mean they should be a voice in our lives. Make us more discerning of the kind of voices we should allow in our lives so that we can allow your voice to influence to us to a greater degree. And God, allow each of us to root our lives in the source of your true wisdom, in your vision and values to a greater degree so that we can exude lives of beautiful humility and others orientation to a greater degree, not just so that we can be a greater influence to others, but so that we can reflect your life and love to a world who desperately needs it. Make us those people, make us that community. We thank you in advance that you want to work that way among us. We love you. We thank you for all these things in Jesus name. Amen.